So he, he went on, just really good stuff, talking about you know, how we, we look at all these policies and different things, but what we tend to not talk about in our country is that this is an issue of the heart. And so we expect when tragedies happen, the questions come, and that's understandable. Um, we, we actually, you know, just spent several weeks talking about questions like that, ever wonder why, and, uh, and the, we led that off. First, first week was about evil and, and suffering. And so, so we understand that. And especially us as believers who believe that uh, God is all-powerful and God is all good. And so when we believe that, that God is both all-powerful and all-good, we expect, I mean, it's a fair question to ask, well, how could this happen? And so we answer those questions, and, and like we, we've already done that. But uh, what's, and what I found interesting is during Jesus' ministry, he was actually asked the almost identical question. So during his ministry, a massacre had take, uh, taken place in Jerusalem, where Pilate had killed some Galilean uh, Jews while they're making their sacrifice. And so the people brought this news to Jesus, although it seems like the buzz was all over. It's almost like they brought it up to him that he would comment on it. And, uh, and he did comment on it, but it was completely not what they were expecting to hear. So that's what I want to look at today. It's in Luke chapter 13. And uh, as you turn there, Luke 13, if you're using one of the Bibles on the back of a chair uh, or chair rack there, it's page 1040. And otherwise, if you've got a device or whatever, it's Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. So here's Jesus. He's been teaching with his disciples. People are following him. He's in the middle of his public ministry. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And so this is apparently, we don't have uh, details about this, but big news of the time that, and uh, where this group of Galileans, some political enemies of Pilate, uh, were at the temple. They had to go to the temple to sacrifice, and since they went there and Pilate uh, had people there, he went in, slaughtered them, and it was so messy and so bl brutal that some of their blood was spilt into the blood of the sacrifices they were making, which were considered holy and honoring to God. And so that was the buzz going around. And so they bring it up to him, and, and they want to see what Jesus is going to say to this, and his answer is not what they expect. Um, it's something different. We see that in verse 2. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or... Do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them 
were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so that's kind of the event that happens in Jesus's life. He, he tells a parable we're going to get to in a minute, a real short one right after that. But I have three takeaways from this passage uh, that I think we can glean about what Jesus is teaching us through this issue. And the first is this. Tragedy can't be eliminated in a sin-stained world. That's what Pastor Jimenez was actually talking about, never had seen him or heard of him before, but he was spot on. He took it all the way back to the garden. Evil or tragedy can't be eliminated in a sin-stained world. And so they bring up to Jesus, some of his followers, or there's some speculation there who these people were, but they kind of throw it out to Jesus, this news, and they're asking for comment, and here what you have is news of intentional evil, mass murder. It's the same type of thing that we've been seeing in Buffalo, Texas. And they bring this up to him. And, and so they're all reminded. They all seem to know that. And Pilate's brutality, by the way, was well documented in secular history. Uh, he's the same man, of course, who crucified, had Jesus crucified. But Pilate was made Roman governor in AD 26. And so Rome sits him to rule this territory, which is central, what we would call today central Israel, and along with that, the capital of Jerusalem. And he was known for his barbaric tactics, and because of that, we know through history that the Caesar actually warned him, saying, if you, if you don't tone it down a little bit, because this seems to be fermenting rebellion, if you don't tone it down, then we're going to recall you from your appointment." recall you from, from being the, uh, the governor there. And, and so that, and that actually happened a few years after Christ was crucified. He was recalled. And so some incident happens. We don't know all the details, but a bunch of people were killed. And these people were actually people who were following God and doing what God had told them to do. And maybe they were taking a risk to even go to Jerusalem because they're from Galilee, but they go there to offer sacrifices. And while they're doing that, they're slaughtered. And, uh, and they throw it out. And the point is this, is we know from all through scripture, very obvious to us what God's saying and that is there are evil people in the world bent on harming others. We know that. We experience that. We get that. And nothing's going to change that in this world. As a matter of fact, the whole thing about Memorial Day is remembering people who've given their lives in defense of our country. And, and why would anybody even need to do that? Well, it's because there are evil people in the world that want to take away our freedom. Or they want other people around the world not to be free. And so it's intentional evil like that that causes a lot of suffering in the world. But I want to point out something. It's not only intentional evil that cannot be eliminated in this broken world, but it's also tragedies that are the byproduct of evil. Accidental tragedy is just another type of evil that's been brought into the world. And so they bring up the news to Jesus, hey, 
you, you know, some people, Jewish people, your countrymen from Galilee were slaughtered when they're trying to sacrifice. And Jesus answers that in a way they don't, re, in, they don't expect. But then Jesus tags on another thing. He says, oh, and by the way, and he mentions another news event where people died that was just an, like an accident. He, he's talking about the Tower of Siloam. Siloam is a community in southwest or southeastern corner of Jerusalem. And by the southeastern corner of the wall in Jerusalem in ancient times was a spring-fed pool called Siloam. That shows up in other places in Scripture, if you'll remember. And this is a story that kind of connects uh, the disciples and Jesus walk by a guy. This is recorded in John 9. He's blind from birth. They know that. This sparks a question from Jesus' disciples, and they ask, hey, Jesus, this guy born blind, which was a, you know, a, an issue, and, and they were saying, you know, what happened here? Was it that God knew he was going to be a sinner, or is it because his parents did something? Remember this story? And then Jesus replies, neither. Now, this is so God's grace can be displayed. But then Jesus heals this man and sends him to wash in this pool, Siloam. So that, you know, we know the pool. They knew the pool. This is apparently an event, uh, this tower collapsing. We don't know if it's part of an, the aqueduct system or what it was there for or whether it was being constructed or already completed. But it's a human-built tower. It falls and eight, it's an accident. 18 people die. And so... It collapses. And here's the point. We not only experience intentional evil, but also suffering and tragedy that are just part of being in a fallen world. Tragedy is a natural consequence of a world polluted by sin. And so that's the first thing. But the next couple of things are this. Jesus then goes on and he tells us how to respond to evil, and how not to respond to evil situations like this. How to respond and how not to respond. So, and basically, when it, I want to start with how not to respond. What Jesus is, is dealing with here is that people tend to respond naturally in two different ways when they see tragedy happening to other people. And that's the advantage point. That, that's kind of like us and kind of like them. Tragedy didn't happen to them. It's something that they saw and were talking about. And so first, there's two views that cause two responses that are the wrong responses. One is the religious view. And, and I'm not just talking Christianity, but just kind of religious as a get-go, religious in the broad view. And that is when bad things happen to somebody, a lot of times people tend to think, oh, they're being punished by God. Oh, some bad stuff happened, they're being punished by God. And Jesus is saying, no, this isn't the case. As a matter of fact, probably most of the people that Jesus was talking to at the time had this kind of a view. Oh, this terrible tragedy happened, whether they were slaughtered by Pilate or even those that the tower fell on. Oh, boy, God, they, they must have been doing something we don't know about, and God must be punishing them. And Jesus is saying, no, that's wrong. God does not give us the bad that we deserve in this life. He counters with this 
punishment theory by saying this. Do you suppose these were greater sinners than other people in their circumstance? Do you think these people were greater sinners? And Jesus says, no. No, they weren't. Again, that's not to say, please hear me, that's not to say that we can make specific sinful choices that bring certain natural consequences into our lives that are bad and negative, they, they will. We can invite suffering through wrong choices. We have an affair that messes up our family. We, we do behaviors that are you know, risky health-wise, and then we have a health issue. Yeah, we get that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is, hey, when tragedy strikes, this is not God punishing somebody. But we can invite evil. That's what Galatians 6, 7 says. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he reap. We get you sow bad things. Bad's coming back. Now, that's the religious view. Jesus is saying, hey, this is not punishment. The other view that Jesus says that we should not take, the way we should not respond, is what I would just call the skeptical view. This is the, the non-God view or the atheistic view that basically says tragedy is God's fault if there is a God. So it used to be in our country, for example, I think more people thought when somebody experienced tragedy, people were a little more tempted to think, boy, I wonder you know, why God's punishing them. But now, today, it's when tragedy happens, it's not what they did wrong, it's why is God doing wrong to allow that to happen? You see, our natural tendency is to push blame somewhere. Oh, it's their fault, the victim's fault, or it's God's fault. But God doesn't owe us a comfortable life. We don't deserve a comfortable life. God doesn't owe us a comfortable life. It's not God's fault when things like that happen. It, by the way, comfortable life, if you're sitting here today, then you have a more comfortable life. No matter what you're going through, you have a more comfortable life than 90% of the people in this world. Just by virtue of being in this country. If you've been around the world you know exactly what I'm talking about. God did not create disease, death, war, poverty, evil. These are the results of a world that's turned away from God. And so Jesus says both those views are wrong. The religious view doesn't work. The skeptic view doesn't work. The wrong view, it will either make you proud, oh, I'm not as bad as they are, or despondent. One or the other. But God's telling us something different. God teaches us that we are more flawed than we'll ever come to realize. But we're also more loved than we'll ever, ever know. And people hear that. A lot of times they say, well, these seem contradictory. No, they actually connect. Why? Because only when we see the depth of the wrong in us can we see and appreciate the astonishing love and grace and patience of God. It's only if we see the amazing 
patience and love of God that we even have the psychological ability to be honest about who we are and the wrong that's in us. It's weird because sometimes people on one hand, they'll think, well, if I'm really loved by God and I know I am, and then there's a sub thing that comes in, well, then I really can't be that bad, which is the opposite of what God's saying. Or some people will say, you know, they'll, they'll look at the total other side of the coin and they'll say, if I'm really that evil, if I'm really that bad, like the Bible says, then God can't possibly love me. And both of those are wrong. Religious and skeptical responses, both wrong, because unless you see the depth of your own sin and the height of God's grace, if you don't see that, then when things go well, you'll tend to be smug. And when things go bad, you'll tend to be devastated instead of hopeful. You see, one way we're smug instead of grateful, the other way we're devastated rather than hopeful. So that's how not to respond. And so if that's how not to respond, then how should we respond to evil? Now, before I get to this, I feel like I throw out a disclaimer. And here, catch this. Who is Jesus talking to here? He's talking to people who have heard about these tragic events. One they bring up, one Jesus brings up. They've all heard about this. He's not talking, about to, he's not talking to people who are actually in tragedy in their life. So here's my disclaimer. If you're going through tragic circumstances in your life right now, maybe a tragic loss or some uh, you know, terrible health news or whatever you might be going through, if right now you're in the middle of all that, the Bible has a whole bunch of stuff to say to you. But this is not it. You with me? We talked about all the things that God says to us, remember? We did that in Ever Wonder Why, part one, so I'd encourage you to go check that out. If you're going through stuff and you want to know why, go there and you'll find out. But here, this I think is more where 99% of us live right now today. We're not in tragedy, we're just, hear about, we're just hearing about tragedy and speculating on tragedy. This is the exact audience that Jesus is dealing with in the first century. They've heard about the mass murder of good people and now Jesus brings up, oh, this accident that, that killed 18 people. And so that's what they're talking about. And so it didn't happen to them and Jesus is speaking to a crowd just like us. And when they bring this up, though, when they start, when they initiate the conversation, they're, they're expecting that Jesus is going to have a little more of a, for lack of a better word, a political response. Political meaning that his response would be more like an, a denunciation of Pilate as an evil man, which everybody already knew anyway or some defense of his Galilean countrymen, you know, to build them up. It, everybody's kind of waiting that he's going to say something like that, but actually Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus warns them to repent. Just, just kind of shifted. Totally unexpected. He warns them to re repent. And by the way, he warns us the very same thing. 
And, and what's happening here? Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue in the first century and the heart of the issue right now. And what is the heart of the issue? The heart, right? He says, they're no more evil than others. Then he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Why? Why will they perish if they don't repent? And by the way, why will we perish too if we don't repent? Because we have a problem. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think, you know, we hear that verse a lot, but think about it. For the wages of sin is death. What does this mean? Our sin, all of our sin, earns us eternal death in that eternal separation from God, spiritual death. Our sinful life and our sinful choices and the sin that's in all of our lives, my sin earns me, Kevin, separation from God forever. That's what I deserve. That would be the right thing. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The weird thing about this, and I think the reason Jesus is hitting them so hard on the issue, is because they're not the group of people going through the tragedy. They're just talking about it, right? Just kind of like we can do about things that happen in our country. And I think when we're not going through tragedy, we're at more spiritual danger. Because when we see other people have tragedy, but we don't have tragedy, all of a sudden, it causes us to be more reliant on ourselves. When things are going well, especially in relation to other people, then it causes us to be more reliant on ourselves, which then causes us to be less reliant on God. Spiritual danger. But Jesus is saying, hey, you see something like this? Hey, all sin is a heart issue, and you're looking at that, and you're wondering about their sin. Hey, look in your own heart, because you will perish unless you repent. And then he says one more thing, and he actually tells a little story to illustrate it. He says, and, and regarding repentance, your time is short. You don't have a lot of time to do this like you think. And then to explain that, he tells one of his short stories, a parable. Next verse, beginning of verse 9, he says, And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And then he answered and said, well, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and, and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. And, and, and you're hearing this, and you're like, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about repentance. He's telling a story explaining what he just said, that we need to repent. And he's reminding us that we don't have a lot of time to do it that our time will run out. Even though God is patient, his, his patient will not extend beyond this life. And so what is repentance? 
Well, I think a lot of times we think about repentance, it's like regret. It's like being sorry for something. But actually, repentance is more than that. Otherwise, we would just call it regret. Repentance is regret, but it's also the acknowledgement in our mind that we're changing our thinking. It's acknowledging my mind that God is right and I'm wrong. It's a change of mind, repentances, that leads to a change of heart when it sinks down. First, we figure it out. Change of mind leads to naturally a change of heart, which then naturally leads to a change of actions, a change of behavior, a change of lifestyle. And so he tells this story saying, hey, here's this tree in the vineyard. It's supposed to produce fruit, but it's not producing anything Cut it down. It's going to come to a tragic end. But the patience of God is displayed by the, the vine keeper who says, well, let me, one more year, let me dig around it, let me fertilize it, let's, let's make this happen. And then, but if it's not then, then yes, let it come to a tragic end. You see, a changed life is the fruit or the proof of our Repentance. When we understand that we have sinned against God and we understand that God is giving us a lifeline through Christ and that if we put our faith in him, we can, have a relate, we can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. But if we truly do that, it involves repentance. If, if it doesn't involve repentance, then we're just looking for life insurance. We're just going, okay, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I like Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm good with Jesus. I'll pray to Jesus. I'll ask Jesus to forgive my sins. But if you aren't wanting that to touch your life at all or change your life at all, you have missed repentance. Just believing with no life change, that is not Christianity. It's, that's why we emphasize the four Ds, right? I won't even put you on the spot, okay? You know, what are the four Ds? Discover truth. We want all people to discover truth, mainly the truth about Jesus. Then once they've discovered truth, what? Decide on Jesus. This is where that somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus, but the third D is demonstrate change. This is saying, if you've truly put your faith in Jesus, it will show up in your life. You cannot put your faith in Jesus and then hedge your bet by saying, yeah, I'm not gonna change my life at all. I don't really wanna follow Jesus. I just wanna say whatever words I need to say where I'm covered. That's not salvation. That's not repentance. Repentance is saying these words, God, I've sinned against you, I'm sorry, and I see that you've paid this incredible price to be able to forgive me. But along with that comes a desire to follow him, demonstrate change, and then the fourth D is deploy for others. Those last two Ds are where our faith shows up in our life, and we should not have confidence in our faith if it doesn't show up in our life. We should not have confidence that we are a believer if we have no fruit of the Christian life, fruit of repentance. God's patient, but not forever. 
our time's short, our time's limited. You know, I've talked to people in the last few decades as I talk to people about Christ, and I've run into people, and I know their attitude is this. Sometimes they say it. Sometimes you can just tell they're thinking that way. They're good with Jesus, but they don't want to give up a lifestyle. And so their thinking is, and then you say, well, you know, being a Christian involves repentance. And, and what they process through is something like this. Well, I believe, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really want to follow Jesus. You know, I want to do my own thing, do my own life. But then on my deathbed, when I know I'm going to die and I can't have any fun anyway, then I'll repent. And people really think that they would do that. And my experience is that that doesn't happen. Because either their life is cut short because we live in a broken world and there are evil people out there and tragedies happen. Or when they do finally live long enough and they're on their deathbed, they're so entrenched in their life at that point that they still won't repent. God lovingly calls us to repentance. God lovingly warns us. That's what we need to do. He lovingly tells us that time is short. And from this perspective, every single time we see an incredible act of evil, a mass murderer, or even a terrible accident, every time we witness that, rather than speculate about God or people or this or that, and people do that and that's fair and we want to answer those questions. But for us, we know, hey, ultimately that's all a result of evil and ultimately we need to look at our own heart because we have evil and make sure that we repent. So every time, it should bring us to repentance. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And I gotta tell you, when we see the direction of our country as a whole, it doesn't look good. You know, we have all these technological changes and, and all these things, and we become more wealthy. You know, as, as the decades go by, it seems like, maybe not right now, but, you know, mostly. But the heart of our country, we're turning away from God. We turn away from God, and when the inevitable suffering happens as a result of that, we blame God. And what our country needs are men and women and graduates who will live lives showing the fruit of their repentance toward God that they will not only be followers of God, but that it will show up in their lives. And when it does, that will affect the people around. And we've seen it happen before in our country, where our country has had a revival, a great awakening. There's been a shift 
in our culture. And, and I really believe that can happen today. But rather than speculate on all that, we have to keep looking at our own heart and keep challenging ourselves or receiving the challenge that Jesus gave us to say, how's our heart doing? Have we really repented? Has our life changed? Has, has it shown up in such a way that, it, that other people can see it? Because when we have the fruit of repentance in our life, it changes us. We become a tool for righteousness. We become a force to point people to God. We become a way where we can teach that people need to look at their own heart and turn to God for help. That evil can't be eliminated in this world, but we can turn to God who has the answer for evil. Starts with our heart. Let's stand together for prayer. Father God, I ask that first of all, Lord, that everybody in this room, Lord, that we would be able to look at our lives, uh, to, to think back over our lives and to see repentance, to see life change, to, to see how our life has changed as a result of knowing you, which is evidence of our salvation. Lord, help us to see that. And if we can't, Lord, help us to examine ourselves, as you say in Scripture, to see whether we're really of the faith. And God, if there's any here who are not, Lord, we ask that you would draw them to yourself. And Father, we ask you to draw us closer and closer to you. Lord, and help us to follow you and be a force for good in our country and the world. And Father, we also recognize that the best way to honor those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom is to follow you with our lives. Help us to do that. Lord, and we know that we don't have to fear anything because ultimately it's your battle and if we're yours, we don't have to worry about anything. But God, we ask that you would use us to impact others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.